My purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor. But to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast Denting. Today, I have a very special guest. He is a leader, an advocate for justice, and an overall great person that has really taught me a lot. He is a teacher to me, but has then become more than that. And we are now, I would say, good friends. I'm excited to have you here. Jonathan Newman, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Fernando. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you for being here. Um, So before we get started, would you like to introduce yourself a bit to everybody uh, watching or or listening? Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Jonathan Newman. Um, Yeah. So I've gotten to know Fernando through... Um, through Cal Athletics, through this uh, this student group that we're we're both involved in, um, that I've been with for the past few years. So, I'm born and raised in California. Uh, I spent one year overseas, but besides that, lived in the state my whole life. Um, I'm the youngest of five siblings. I got ten nieces and nephews. Uh, I like working out, reading, uh, former dancing. Student former, I guess, yeah, former student athlete. I, you know, I, I kind of I dabbled in in club rugby at Cal Poly, so yeah. sometimes I maybe undersell myself, but you know that still counts. Yes, we we played Cal, the the best team in the nation. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Definitely yeah. counts. Well, thank you for being here. Um, today I want to talk about your your journey, um, from college to where you are today, and as well as moving forward, what your passions are. Um, I know you're very passionate about justice in general, the same way I am. Um, I want to get to know you in the sense of how this passion started in the first place. Were you like this ever since you were a kid? Did it begin in college? Was it until afterwards? Tell me a bit about that, like how you were as a kid or up to college. Yeah, well, I would say as a kid, like I I grew up in a pretty predominantly like white Christian bubble. Okay. and that actually kind of continued when I went to college too. But I, I guess one common thread that uh, was true for me that, you know, I was actually just talking with, with my parents about this recently, like, you know, what was I like as a kid? Um, I like to to kind of think about those questions and make sense of who I am now. But like, um, so that I always had like this strong kind of sense of like what was right or what was good in different situations, which at times also made me like maybe very fearful of like, uh, being being in the wrong or being uh, not in good standing with people, whether it was uh, parents or other authorities or, or peers. Um, but when I went into college, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. To to be honest, like okay. I was a good student, had had good grades throughout um, high school, and um, was pretty well rounded, I guess, in the subjects. And not not like top of my class, like could go anywhere I wanted, but. Um, 
I, I still was seeking some guidance of like, you know, what to do for, for a career. And at one point as a kid, like I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I, I thought that was kind of cool, maybe just to make even a lot of money. But then I discovered like how much time it takes to, to actually like, become a doctor in which most people are into until they're like late 20s yeah. or maybe 30s that they can actually start the career. So I was like, I want to be in school forever because that felt like forever to me. Yeah. Um, and so people were telling me like, yeah, you should do engineering because you're good at math and science. So it was kind of just like pragmatic, almost like utilitarian thing, you know, it was like, okay. So, and I, and I, um, I actually didn't get into Cal, okay. which is funny because I have a sister who she went to Cal before me and she didn't get into Cal Poly where I went to school, which is just kind of a fun fact. Um, but so I knew kind of like, I wanted to do engineering. Well, I say want with air quotes because, you okay. know, that's but I, that's the path I was trying to take because... You didn't know you, anything else. I didn't know anything else. Like, you could get, you know, a good job with just a, just a bachelor's degree and build a career off that. So I was like, that sounds great. So, um, and Cal Poly made you also choose your major ahead of time, which kind of made you, in a sense, feel this sense of, like, pre-investment, you know. Before you got to Cal Poly or, yeah. or when? Yeah, we you had to apply with choosing a major. Oh wow! Yeah, so you couldn't just be like undeclared. Yeah, that, for that us, I mean, yeah. I'm a sophomore right now, and I'm barely about to declare. <laughs> yeah, so that could yeah. that might have been helpful, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so I, I even w- with choosing what which engineering degree, right? Like I'd kind of flip the coin and chose mechanical because I don't know that Why just kind of sounded interesting. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, so yeah, I. Um, so I was involved with uh, this this uh, campus ministry called Crew. Um, that's like affiliated with with Athletes in Action, which it, there's one yeah. at Berkeley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was involved all four years with this, you know, student ministry, trying to um, to reach people, um, and you know, you know, doing a lot of like campus outreach, doing mission trips, stuff like that. Learning a lot more about my faith as well as like community and deepening the sense of purpose in my life and connecting it to my identity as well. Um, Let me stop you right there real quick. How was your faith as a kid growing up in, in the, in this college, um, like in the college life? Yeah. Because I know your faith connects to to the larger topic. Yeah. Yeah, So I, I I grew up uh, with my dad being a pastor. So as a pastor's kid, you know, people have different questions about like what that was like. And for me, it was, it was, pretty positive actually um i have a great relationship relationship with my parents and once i kind of got over like finding you know having parents like having uh a lot of like rules and authority over life in that way like curfews and whatnot like once i got to college i could really appreciate them for who they were and you know even seeing them as friends in a way too and so but my my faith uh was you know it, it was kind of uh, native to me in a sense, because I, I grew up with, you know, my parents being very, very religious and yeah. very serious about their faith and committed. Um, and, and they, and they were consistent too in their, their character and the way that they, they treated us. And, um, and yeah, so I, I think it, it was in a lot of ways kind of intellectual and then it became kind of personal, but still just kind of maybe going through the motions of like what I've, maybe was supposed to do. And then it became actually like, okay, this is more about like a a holistic lifestyle of like following this person, Jesus, not just like, 
you know, I, I check off the, the, the list of, of like belief of like beliefs. Yeah. But more of like, okay, this is actually deepening my, even my relationships, uh, because of my relationship with God. Um, and so, and, and that was really like late, late high school uh, okay. when I kind of had that shift, that kind of deepening of faith and, and maturing in that way. Um, so you improve your relationships there thanks to your faith in that yeah. transition in high school, which I think many people that are born into a religion go through. Yeah. Personally for me, it was religion and the dogma. And then it was questioning things around middle school. I mean, for many people, middle school is young, but yeah. for me, that was like 13 years into yeah. the, the faith. Um, and then in high school, it kind of makes sense. Mm. Um, so you're telling me about deepening your relationship thanks to your faith. Yeah. And then you head into these ministry groups at Cal Poly. Yeah. And how does faith play that role in your journey to to advocacy for justice? Yeah. So, yeah, I think without needing to like, without wanting to like stretch it out too far and like yeah. explain the journey, because there, there, there's a lot of dots you know, to connect along the way, I'm sure. but yeah. you know, getting, but it, it is actually connected to even like getting involved with this student group. Although I didn't, that wasn't on my radar at all during, at the time. Okay. In fact, during college, um, you know, I, I live in slow and I, it's a great place and I still have some of my best friends are from there and even very like-minded people that I met at slow. Um, but I don't know something, something about even being there and like also this is the stage of life I was in. It's like, I kind of opted out of keeping up with the world outside. Like we were in this, cause it's, it's by some, uh, rated as like, you know, the happiest town in America or something like that, which okay. it probably depends on who you are, yeah. what, your, what your, what your experience is. But, um, for people like me, yeah, it was like a very, you know, kind of happy existence there. But I just, I was like, not even aware of what was going on in the world. It's like, I'd, Honestly, if you ask me, like, what what happened between twenty twelve or between two thousand eight and twenty twelve when I went to school, um, yeah, there's not many things that stand out to me that I like was paying attention. Then it's its own you know? little bubble, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so even a lot of my sense of like purpose of like you know furthering the the kingdom of God uh, on on Earth was mostly about like kind of like global, like world missions and stuff like that, even though I didn't know if I was going to like do that long term, but okay. in some way, even like, um, empowering or mobilizing people to do that, to, to share Christ, you know, widely and, um, even in society. But, um, so I, I, I went overseas and, and did like a year, year overseas as a missionary. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was my, my first kind of gig. And it, you know, my, my junior year, I had this sort of shift where I was like, I don't see myself doing engineering. Like I, who am I kidding? Um, I feel like I was even in class when I like kind of realized that in a sense. Yeah. And I think that God had kind of, uh, graciously, uh, worn me down through just like relationships that I had and, um, different like conferences that would really like kind of put that more on the forefront of, you know, the, just the, the option of like doing full-time ministry that made it really attractive. And, um, a lot of people whose jobs that I really, you know, I, I, I saw that they, they love their jobs and I, I kind of wanted to be in that too, because I wanted to, like the more I was involved with the student ministry, um, you know, helping to kind of coordinate different outreaches and, um, and things that were especially like reaching out to, to other people in the campus, to like fraternities and things like that. Like I wanted to have like more time to do that in a sense where I felt like I wanted to be more undivided in the sense of like, I guess my, 
my sense of purpose. And I feel like I didn't really get that from engineering. Yeah. What, yeah. what was your, your purpose there? Was it because you liked the people that were doing it or because you wanted to spread the message yourself back then? Yeah, I would say it was, it was both, you okay. know, it was both the sense of like, yeah, this, these are like my people. I want to like continue doing more of this sort of thing, you know, essentially I, I wanted to, to have more direct impact with people and be on the front lines and working with college students like myself, you know, like in a more long-term fashion. So, so yeah, so fast forward a couple of years, I, I do like a, a year overseas, which was, um, great experience, um, and then I came back. I served again at Cal Poly okay. as an intern um, with a bit a big uh, group of staff team and and lots of friends there. And um, I'd say there is these seeds that started to be planted there that kind of like opened my eyes to, I guess the below the iceberg elements of both the internal life, like the inner life, and in myself with just even discovering like this idea of emotional health. Um, like through uh, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that someone had just like offhand recommended. And I feel like I, I didn't know how to handle just like the complexity of emotions, relationships, and what's going on inside of me. But um, my experience actually in full-time ministry kind of gave me the, I don't know, the maybe the platform or, or the, um, the infrastructure to explore those things because so much of it is about like, your personal growth and who you are and who you're becoming and, and helping other people to do the same thing. So as, as I was like pouring into people, people were also pouring into me. Yes. Yeah. And so, but that so there's this, this like element of, okay, like discovering like emotions and I, I didn't really grow up knowing what to do with emotions that, that well, you okay. know? Um, but, and then there's this other thing of like not really growing up knowing what to like do about race. Yeah. Um, but there is there's some some kind of seeds of like, okay, there, there's more that, that meets the eye through just some some like student testimonies I heard and some uh, relationships with um, some colleagues there that started to talk about these different issues of like you know the the kind of the people who are kind of on the margins within Christian spaces, especially ones that are in predominantly white groups or institutions, um, and so so, so just, yeah. Just to fully understand this right now, basically. You had a good seed going for you and this year away and coming back to slow and the ministry was like the good soil for you that helped you yeah. eventually sprout. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that's yeah. from a, from a, a book I was reading yesterday. It's a uh, servant leadership in action. It's just essays and it's edited by Clint, uh, Ken Blanchard. And they mentioned that like without like a good seed is great. But yeah. without good soil, it's worthless. So, I mean, it's a good point um, to make right now because that support team for you in that ministry yeah, probably, like, helped you get where you are right now. Yeah. I don't know if you want to touch on that a bit more or, or who they were or what they are to you if you're still in touch with them. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, one, one of my friends, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just – Put, put him on here. His name's Matthew. He, he knows who he is and some of my friends do, but he, he's shout someone that I, yeah, shout out Matthew. Um, yeah, he, he's actually one of my, my friends who has his own podcast, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, we just, he, he and I really bonded over talking about like different issues uh, that kind of exist within the church in America. And I, I know like the church kind of means different things. Cause like you, you and I grew up in different church spaces. You grew up in the Catholic church. I grew up in Protestant churches and yeah. 
but um, but I think we we kind of had this uh, I guess this kindred spirit even over like yeah like you know there, there's things that people don't talk about that aren't right um, the way people treat it or different things that even just being dissatisfied in like maybe shallow ways that um, certain issues were treated or, or maybe over spiritualized you know or treated as this one dimensional thing and he he led these different um, kind of spaces to explore those he called they call them like real talk uh, and, and the branch ministry that he did where we talked about, um, things like, so like w- one instance was this, you know, this real talk on talking about ethnic diversity and just people's experiences there. And, um, and so that, that was, that was one kind of key point where even like hearing someone talk about, yeah, their experience of kind of essentially being like otherized by just people joke by his like white friends joking around, you yeah. know? Um, and that sense of like, like I, I, I think in, in my hearing his story, like I started to build a kind of empathy with the, like this, there's this really like real pain that is not to be like overlooked, you know? Um, and he also was given this, the, the freedom, the permission to just be totally authentic, okay. which, you know, like people of color don't always get, or don't normally get, especially in, you know, predominantly white, uh, groups. And so, yeah. In a, in a way, many people like, I understand the the racial reference and completely agree, but I feel like not even many people get the to be authentic in a way. And yeah. we'll talk about that later in, yeah. in the dehumanization yeah. talk, but I feel like a lot of people just don't get that opportunity. Yes, because of the superficiality in dehumanization, but yeah. also because of what goes deeper into that, like just being scared to share yeah. um, the the real thoughts and feelings and what other people may or may not think and, and things yeah. like that. So it yeah. is very powerful, but I would want to stress that although it is obviously emphasized in, um, in uh, like for African-Americans and, and basically for minorities, um, yeah. I think it's, it's even deeper than that in the whole human race at yeah. times. I mean, what we're really talking about is to, to belong, to be able exactly. to bring your, your full self, you know, exactly. not have to second guess or be treated with suspicion or to, to even be understood and, and to have your, your existence be validated. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so at this point in my story, I'm still in San Luis Obispo, but there, there's some, some gears turning of like, wow, there's like a lot of different things to think about, but it, but it didn't really hit me on, on a more kind of global or national scale until, you know, 2014, I was transitioning to, to move to Berkeley to work with, um, this ministry here with crew. Yeah. It was still with crew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what made you come to Berkeley? Like what made you move? You were still at slow back then and you moved to Berkeley. Yeah. So my, my two year internship had, had run out and you have to like either like join full time or not. Okay. And so while I enjoyed living there, I, I felt this sense of, I was missing out on like, just the wider worlds felt like I was in a bubble, which okay. I was in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yes, yeah, so I, I applied to get, uh, placed on a team here and I got that and was su- super excited. And I, I had that, that reference point too, from my sister going to Berkeley and, um, and just knowing that it's, you know, it, within situated in the Bay area, being more connected to the world, more diverse than what I had grown up with or what was living with there now. So that, that, def- that already was like, um, an attraction point for me. 
How, yeah. how did that change? I mean, I'm not sure how many people you did or did not know through your sister, but how did the overall change of leaving that bubble in slow and coming to meet new people and being exposed to different diversities and maybe finding out what's going on in the real world help you take a leap um, in, well, in your journey of faith and advocacy? Yeah. I mean, there there was... It, it was strange because it, it, what was going on in the world that I was discovering kind of intersected with my move. So it was like, um, you know, uh, Michael Brown was, was shot and killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri that, uh, the summer of 2014, as I was like raising support to, to then come out to Berkeley. And then there's other stuff going on in the world too, that, um, that was just kind of throwing me for a loop. And it's like, the the problems of the world hadn't seemed as big or hadn't hit me as hard. And so I think that especially too, because, um, yeah, seeing the, over the next like, you know, six months, the rise of the black lives matter movement, yeah. it was this kind of thing where I was like, I feel like there, there's just so much below the surface that I have not seen <laughs> because of what I grew up with or because, you know, the vast majority of what I learned about race was just, Within uh, it was front, from within, yeah, from from other white people, and um, you know, it, it's not like I necessarily assign like this total blame there, but it's, but I I, I only understood like racism, in, in this kind of like limited sense. All no. like um, Emmanuel Acho, he he was on Brene Brown's podcast, okay. and he did a great job. I so I got to give him credit for give me this uh, analogy of like. It's like racism was for for most white people is only seen as like this, you know, like first degree murder, okay. you know, like only premeditated and intentional. Right. Versus like, what about second degree or third or like involuntary manslaughter, okay. let, let alone uh, on a systemic level. I, I, you know, learning about things like systemic racism and, and white privilege for the first time um, also kind of threw me for a loop where I, I think there it was kind of a perfect storm in a way where I also got to learn about a lot of these things almost like peripherally or kind of like just from like listening to people. Like I didn't like, while maybe some white people might encounter these ideas with someone like kind of teaching them and maybe they might get defensive where I, I had the opportunity to kind of learn almost like through osmosis and through relationships and through more kind of exposure and, um, but but I think like the, the the kind of the racial reckoning that was happening then that you know it was even more so widespread in 2020. Um, yeah, it just taught me to kind of like to to keep asking questions and see like okay like if there's so much like pain and, and outrage like people can't be making this up like there's got to be more more to it yeah. than this you know. And and I feel that because I just went through that process in a way. Um, I mean, back then in 2014, I was seventh grade moving into eighth grade, but I was always in that bubble. Um, definitely in up until like middle school, I was in the Mexican American Catholic community. Yeah, it was limited to that. And then I went to a high school, um, which was still limited to Catholicism, but racial wise, it was a bit more diverse. Like yeah. it, it was not only Mexican American kids, and then. I mean, you come to Berkeley and it's, it's all over the place. There's this yeah. and there's that all. I yeah. mean, 
and obviously what happened in 2020 just opens my my eyes mm. really in getting more up to date with current events so i i completely feel you on on that so mm. now i'm curious because i i mean you know my journey because we knew each other since 2020 so you you've followed my process in a way but what do you do next so you your eyes are opened you find out what's what's out there in the real world what do you do with that yeah so i've actually like kind of written down my story at, at, at times to kind of share with people in, in terms of my understanding of like race and culture and stuff. But, but this all intersects with these different parts of my life too, okay. with faith as well. And, um, and making sense of my, my, I guess my life purpose, you know? Um, but so there was this kind of disruption of like, you know, like I mentioned, like there's, there's more that meets the eye. Like, why didn't I know about all this stuff, all these different experiences and these kind of like, you know, these systemic issues going on. Um, but it, it, it took a few years to like really let it, or maybe, I would say maybe even a couple of years um, because a couple of years later, the, the 2016 election cycle, it really just like dredged up so much um, in terms of like seeing how much, um, yeah, Donald Trump's like r- rhetoric yeah. uh, around like, you know, uh, dehumanizing like uh, immigrants from Latin America or women or people with disabilities um, you know lo- lo- lots of different um, kind of demographics but then seeing white people white Christians even ha- like you know at, the, at maybe at best just like kind of excusing it yeah or maybe even playing into it in some ways you know um, where a, a lot of these, yeah, so it was it was just very like that that was disillusioning for me in a sense of like okay, like seeing like the white evangelical vote which I basically grew up as like I was discipled into white evangelicalism. Yeah, you I know? I knew a lot of friends uh back then that I I mean I was in high school, I was a sophomore and I wasn't really into politics back then, but obviously being being Mexican and I mean Mexican American, the rhetoric caught my eye. Obviously, um, like without getting into politics at all, the rhetoric rhetoric by itself is is enough, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that from a Catholic stand, uh, like standpoint, and just overall Christian, maybe the single issue voting was what I learned from the 2016 election. And even in the 2020, I had a lot of friends um, that are Catholic and, and Christian just focus on single-issue voting. So yeah. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? Like, is that part of the our faith? Or, or, like, I mean, we're exposed to that in 2016, very much so in 2020 still. So from there, did, did you even realize that back then about the single-issue voting? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. And like, you know, m- maybe in some ways I was probably by default a single issue voter before, you okay. know, yeah. um, you know, a- around something like maybe abortion, but you know, there, there's not that I'm necessarily like, Oh, like I'm excited about that. I think that's great. But, um, there's, I, I just didn't know that the complexities of like what, you know, mm-hmm. being for or against something like that, even like, what what good it really does like yeah. at a national level at a, at a federal level what impact um, it even yeah, has yeah yeah 
And, and even like, yeah, it's, it can be so easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm pro-life and that's, that's the issue. And what did you do about it? Well, you voted against the, you voted for the candidate who said that they were pro-life, said that they were. And like, what, what are they going to do about that? Really? You know? Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's really like a, it's, it's reductionistic and to, to treat human dignity as like, well, there's just this one bargaining chip and then someone can use that to just totally, you know, to own your allegiance, you yeah. know? Um, and so I think this, this idea of that people are made in God's image, that that, that's, that's something that I still, and like have been for a while, like very deeply, like formed in, in the, in this belief, which is, you know, it, it's a, it really should be a foundational concept in, in Christianity, but yeah. it's of course not been practiced consistently, um, across the ages, um, just to treat people with, yeah, identity as humans and with a sense of like equality. Um, but there, there's a lot to that, that, you know, requires like critical thinking and, and, and nuance. Um, and that, that just starts to be tricky when you, you have different supposedly competing issues, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, but it, yeah, it did. And here, I'll fix that real quick. There we go. Good now, right? Pretty good. Yeah. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, and just to go back on that topic. So 2016, we find that about single issue voters, you, you started talking about uh, dehumanization. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so is that the first time you're, you're talking about that? Or, or when is it really that it hits you and that you start implementing it into your work uh, here at Berkeley and more like in anywhere else? Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a very, a very pivotal kind of season. And it, and it, on, it, it was really hard for me to navigate too. Like I honestly didn't have the tools to, <laughs> to fight injustice well, or to fight even like insensitivity to these things, you know, if people might dismiss or say something, um, against like the black lives matter movement or that even as a phrase or something like that, like, you know, I, I blew up on a couple people in ways that were, you know, not helpful, but I just didn't know what to do with like my, my anger there, my sense of indignation. Like, how could you like not know this? Yeah. You know, how could, how could you not like get it? Um, which is also, you know, in to kind way. of betray my, my sense of like, uh, it's not like I didn't have a journey, um, or, or have like many amazing people whose shoulders that I stand on in terms yep. of my understanding and my growth. So it's kind of hard both and where in my journey I've wanted to like, like be, be a good person in, in air quotes in terms of that, right? Like be a good, like white advocate. Yeah. And I became like highly, I would say deputized around that time too. And it kind of got exposed to, to different um, leaders and sort of um, even like online communities that were, were, facing these issues head on, both, both Christian and, and non-Christian. Um, and, and even within like our organizational conferences, we started to, you know, talk about these, these things more. And so, um, so I don't know if, yeah. you, if you want to talk about like a bit more specific now to, to your work, um, here in, in Berkeley 
in well within these these meetings and these conferences yeah. with the uh, crew and with AIA um how did how did you start passing this on to students or or what other way did you get this message across to my understanding you meet with students and and you pass on this message is that like your way of solving this injustice and no, and like is that your your way of doing things yeah, I would say it's it's one avenue in which I've tried to incorporate. I don't know what I've learned and uh, and and to be an advocate for people of color in general, but especially thinking about you know the the many friends that I have and um, you know what would be in in their best interests and at the same time like very motivated by the sense of like wanting to like kind of reclaim a sense of credibility in, in terms of the, the, the corporate witness or the corporate like PR in a sense that to use <laughs> kind of a business language yeah. of, uh, of, of Christians, especially in, in the States. Um, and, and there's ways in which I kind of like burned out at, at different points in doing that, you know, cause, cause ironically, I still had this very like individualistic approach to it where it's like, I, and it's kind of my personality is like, oh, it all kind of depends on me. Uh, for those of you who've, who are an Enneagram uh, savvy, I'm an Enneagram type one. And like they can, we can like easily just like, uh, yeah, take take these like world burdens on our shoulders. Like it's ours to bear in a lot of ways. Taking full responsibility of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in, in which case, like I even expected myself to be perfect or to do it perfectly in a sense even though i would maybe deny that but it's still ingrained in like in my body my soul that that's a lot of the ways i operated and so um so but to answer your question more directly like i you know i think after 2016 for for that that next year a lot was kind of like um simmering in me where i i began to just be even more unsettled to where it's like i can't do like life and even like my job as as normal anymore and looking for ways to to make change, to, to be an agent of, of change in my different spaces. And, um, you know, like I, I gave a talk at one point, I tried to kind of, um, give essentially like what the corporate world would call, like try to advocate for like resource groups okay. for, for students, um, to have spaces with people of like similar backgrounds to, to kind of have like affinity and to have safe space to, to talk, um, as well as to, to just discuss like, you know, their experience within, uh, this community, like trying to make it a multi-ethnic community, but that is like, uh, you know, a place where everyone can belong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and so at one point I, I, I made the, the switch to, to athletes in action as well. And, um, and that was, that was actually right after, um, like the year after I got exposed to, um, this, um, I want to call it training, but it's not really training. It's, it's like, a sort of like a, an intensive, um, that was part of our, our ministry, yeah. um, called lenses and, um, which you're still part of today. Yeah. Which I'm still part of. And so it's, it's kind of our like, um, diversity, uh, inclusion and belonging wing of, of the organization. And so that, that just gave me like going through that experience was humbling, but also inspiring in a lot of ways because it gave me a picture of like okay yeah, yeah we we're not shying away from the hard conversations um it's a lot about like race culture justice 
um, and like what the Bible has to say about these things. Okay. But um, presenting it in a way and with a, a group experience in which we're getting to um, just really dive into those conversations and, and be real with, with what's what are people's experiences, especially trying to center the experiences of, of people of color. Um, but, um, but painting this picture of what it could look like when, um, especially when, when Christians are, are doing this well and when we're like fighting for, for justice and for, for unity in, in, in a healthy way. Um, so, so that, that's been one kind of like group that, that has been, you know, part of my, um, part of my journey that it's, it's been, um, even healing for me at times to just like remind me of like, that there's so many amazing people that are, are, are just like, they've been doing, doing the work for, for years, for decades that I've gotten to interact with and work alongside with that. Um, and after having like kind of joined their facilitation team, um, to help facilitate some of these, uh, programs and stuff too. Um, but, um, yeah, so, but I would say like more recently, like even this past year, um, was that a turning point for you this past year? Yeah, I, I think because there, there's this, there's been this sense of like, even wanting to clarify my sense of like life purpose. And I, I think like trying to like, you know, fight racial injustice and, um, both in the kind of like national level as well as you know just within the spaces that i'm in to advocate for um for to try to deputize others to be advocates as well has been on the forefront forefront of my mind for a few years but i think even like along the way like like i mentioned like there's been ways in which like i've burned myself out in that too and i've seen others burn out um and sometimes it's because we don't maybe have the right tools for it and honestly, like how this ties in is sometimes we just don't treat ourselves like we're human. And so there's been this sort of like tension of like, how do I live out of a sense of purpose and not feel like I'm shirking that yeah. maybe sense of calling or responsibility that maybe to some degree, like a plus all of us, but maybe for me, it's like, you know, a certain burden, but then like at times, you know, I can take it too seriously or I can just be like so emotionally exhausted about it that um, it can be hard to, I don't know, have hope that there can be like good in the world. And so I think, I think what I've missed at different times is like having joy as like a fuel for it, you know, um, and, and, and hope. And as I've sought kind of counsel and mentorship from different people and have had, yeah, more, more mentors in the past year. Um, and even like talking like a spiritual director who kind of gets my experience and is, is like-minded. Um, yeah, I, it's just been like clear that there, that, that question of like, how do I live out my sense of purpose? But then also like, is it okay for me to want to, to sort of thrive too? 100%, and e- yeah. even feeling that like sense of g- guilt at times that like that would even be hard for me, like as a white man. And so just he's trying to like overcome like various ways that I can really get into my head or, you know, kind of overthink a lot of these things. But so I think like my, my sense of purpose right now is, is kind of, twofold in the sense of like I feel like the the dent I want to make on the universe is like I, I want to to humanize myself and to humanize other people 
And I, I hope that that can point, you know, people in, in some way to, to God's goodness. And if that's not what people take away, like, you know, I don't feel like I'll be a, a failure, but I do think that it's, it's tied to that. And I think that my relationship with God does, um, that it is intrinsic to that too. That it, it helps me even also believe that God is good. Yeah. If like, I feel like I can be human, like I don't have to have it all together. And I, I want other, other people to, to feel like that too, that you, you can show up as your full self and there can be like acceptance for you. Um, like, I want to like help people grow and like be, you know, be real with, with people who have entrusted me with, with that, uh, especially friends. But, um, yeah, just like, it's just ironic that, you know, in, in the fight for justice that we can dehumanize ourselves or, or, or whatever you even like are giving your, your life to, um, you know, just burnout culture is becoming more of a concept because so many people experience it, no, no matter what you're burning out on. Yeah. But this sense of like high competition and like hustle culture that defines the U.S., you know, um, more, more so than, than in a lot of places. There's other, other countries and societies that burn out too easily, same, yeah. but, but th- 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 this is true of us and this is where we are. So, yeah. yeah. And just to go back to to your point i think it's it's important to to pause here for a second and and realize for for many people that while you're trying to humanize everybody else it's easy to dehumanize yourself i think it's in the same way that to love others you must first love yourself because you can't give what you don't have so right. it's always like if you're going to be helping other people if you're going to be inspiring other people if you're going to be leading other people you have to lead inspire love and help yourself first yeah because if you don't do that then you're not really going to be contributing too much of what you i mean obviously because you don't have anything to contribute there yeah um so i think that's that's a great point to make um heading into the dehumanization just a tiny bit more um i'd like to know three things real quick first off how you would define dehumanization and some examples of how we do it today. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll pull some from Brene Brown because she's, she's given me a lot of language for that. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, she, she talked about this in her book, Braving the Wilderness, which was actually written in 2017, you know, when the, the, the divisiveness and, and, and the dehumanization had, had reached like, you know, maybe, a uh, not an all-time high, but uh, definitely like in, in that season of of society, like it reached like a boiling point. There was a lot um, more to come. Yeah, <laughs> and even even more to come. But she she talked about how like, well, in in the divisiveness of of politics, that anyone can be can be subject to dehumanizing other people. You know, like any like. Whatever, whatever group of people or side, quote unquote side, that you feel like is in the wrong, um, there, there can be a, a such thing as accountability. But because she, her research is on shame, which is basically about like, you know, feeling like you're a bad person or there's something wrong with you, that you're, you're worthless or doing that to someone else, that she sees how like it's, it's actually destructive to, to use shame and dehumanization as like a tool to do justice. Yeah. I I feel like a lot of people love to point fingers and I'll be the first to say it. I've done so myself. 
Um, I've had many conversations with people that don't think like me and I've learned from them that the best way to communicate isn't by telling them they're wrong. The last thing somebody wants to hear is that they're wrong, right? So it's just having a conversation and it's a tough balance, you know, because for some things, some values just don't line up and in our hearts, we know it's wrong, but at the same time, it's respecting and accepting them as people, you know, I'm, I know many people that will no longer talk to others because they have different opinions or beliefs. And I have a lot of friends that I just don't agree on things anymore, but we're still friends. I mean, I would still talk to them and reach out. And I feel like that's what would help us like humanize society again, being willing to accept and respect each other the way we are. And it's very hard. I mean, after this conversation, I'll probably end up doing it at some point or another. Yeah. And it's just something that we all have to keep learning Mm. from because although we want to humanize everybody else, we're dehumanizing in in the way we do it, which is sad. Yeah. But I think it ties into another thing. Um, My next question actually, which is how, how do you like humanizing others can affect us? You touched on one of your blogs on perfectionism. Yeah speak more on that because I feel like it ties in perfectly with this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> perfectionism is a, is a tendency that we can have as, as humans, some, some more than others, but, but the, the thing about it is that to be human is to not be perfect. You know, <laughs> no matter what you believe about like human nature, whether or not you refer to, um, you know, the, the Bible or the Quran or, you know, or, or anything else, or don't have religious texts, like, I think, I don't think it's hard, a hard sell to say that humans are imperfect, yeah. and there's ways in which we're messed up, we're you flawed. know, we're flawed, yeah, and there, there is a sense of, like, that's not okay, because, you know, that leads to, like, people hurting each other, and, <laughs> and killing each other, and dehumanizing each other, but there's also, like, a sense in which that's normal, that, like, we, we make mistakes and we accept and, them. Yeah. And so even to pretend like, Oh, like I can't make mistakes <laughs> and to be in, in which case maybe I might be defensive no. or find my identity in that. Um, that's not to recognize my humanity, but I think it's important for, for us to recognize our common humanity in that and that there are common things that, that people want and, and that people need out of life. Um, that we and that we all have dignity, even the people we, we might think have done the worst things in, in society. There, there's still a, d- a degree in which we we each have dignity, and, that, and that's really the only way too for us to have equality. Yeah, is if you know we are all worth something. If, if our lives are worth something, if if all our if yeah. So, um, so there's dignity, and then there's. We, we all have needs, yeah. like I mentioned, and we all have limits, you know, we, we can't, limits. we can't do it all. Like I can't, I can't read all the books that I want to read or listen to all the podcasts. I can't do, you know, do all the to-do lists, all the items on my to-do list that I want to do. Um, and also I can't live someone else's life either. And I, you know, to some degree I have to live my own life and like 
be my own person and, 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 and accept like the way that I have been made, you know? At some point you can only control yourself and it's hard to accept that, but yeah. it is what it is. You can't leave your dent in, yeah. in everyone, you know? Yeah. And, and it's part of, it's part of denting in a way. Like it's just part of coming to that realization that you can't inspire everyone. Not everyone will like you and, and yeah. Hey, that's okay. Yeah. It's part of the process. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned right now with with the limits and and those responsibilities um and with the burnout it, itself yeah i've gone through that you've gone through that what advice would you give to someone that is not as inspired anymore because they can't convince certain people or talk to mm. certain people and are just about to give up or are feeling down because they are burned out and are saying, you know what, this, this isn't for me. What would you say uh, to someone that's listening to us or, or watching us that thinks that way or feels that way right now? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I feel you and I, that's, that's real. And, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up for even having burned out. Like, Oh, that means like I'm, I'm weak or I just need to like, figure out a way to maybe life hack so that I can do it better than in the future. And, and you know, if you, even if you feel that pressure to, to go back to the thing that, that you burned out on, like, you know, maybe examine that, like, is that your, your, your responsibility to carry whatever that is. But, um, self-compassion is, is huge and super essential. Um, Man, I I think there there's there's got to be, yeah, just a a new way of, of living into uh, to live in a, in a sustainable way, um, and it's not it's not your fault necessarily. Like yeah. you probably had maybe other people who, um, maybe modeled a certain way of living that it just didn't work for you. You know, um, whether it's just your your boundaries or 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 something else, but I think. Yeah, just encouragement that like your it it's not too much to ask to to be able to be healthy, like okay. mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And it's possible. What I just got uh reminded of, I think that a way to put it for for anyone that is struggling um like that is struggling personally because they've helped others so much is um that reminder like when you're on a plane the first thing, uh, well, one of the first rules you're going to be told, like when all the safety rules and stuff is, um, make sure to help, like to put the, the oxygen mask on yourself and then put it on others, you know? And I feel like it's the exact same thing. If, If we focus on putting the oxygen mask on others instead of on ourselves first, yeah, at some point we're gonna, burn out yeah. um, <laughs> to use it that way. Yeah. We're going to burn out and we won't be able to provide that oxygen, if you will, yeah. to others. So yeah. I think it's a balance of knowing how much you need to be able to then help others. Yeah. And, and w- within those responsibilities, um, just to close out this section, what would you say to any religious person doesn't matter the religion or the faith or or anyone really that's just wanting to get involved as an advocate but isn't sure how or or just believes that 
whatever they can contribute just won't be big enough because Mm -hmm. you must know the same way I do that single man efforts are not going to solve this humongous problem, especially when we're not the lawmakers or, or even more than that, just like the leaders in this cultural movement, this justice movement you know yeah so what what would you say like how could somebody start in this journey um whether it be religious values or or not yeah i would say like it's never going to change that you you that you'll need to continue to say that just i don't know and i need to learn i have a lot to learn um and, and at the same time there you know if maybe if you're uh, downplaying your, your own contribution or where you fit into that. You know, I, I think something that I also believe deeply is that we're all interconnected, Okay. you know, and that maybe, maybe if you struggle to, to feel like, okay, like, is this even in my, in my best interest, you know, but that I, I, I believe it when I think it's Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Who says like, a threat to justice yeah. anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And there's this quote from, oh gosh, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember the, the name because from my own uh, like blog post, but is it the one the, about helping? It it yeah it's the like the her name's Lila. She's a, an a, Aboriginal activist, but um, maybe if you look up the quote, but she says like, if you've come here to help me. Do you have the quote up? You yes. can read it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up. I didn't have it up, but I'll pull it up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw this and it's amazing. It, it says, if you've come to help me, then you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up in mine, then let us work together. That's Lila Watson, uh, Aboriginal educator that's, and activist yeah. in Australia. That's the one. That's amazing. Yeah. But like when I saw that, I was like, wow. Yeah. So the point isn't to help, it's to empathize and to understand that. Well, no, I wouldn't even say empathize. I would say to to take it personally because empathize would be to put ourselves in others' shoes. Yeah. But it's not Which about... Is, it is necessary. It, yeah. it is necessary yeah. because we won't experience everything, but yeah. it's also saying whatever hurts you is also hurting yeah. me. I think that's that's the point yeah. that she's trying to make. Yeah. I think to to degree that is what empathy is about. That even like if I if if I as a white man may not have directly experienced racism or sexism, but it's actually so some of my like friends and colleagues who uh have have experienced those things and and are further along in their, you know, awareness than me have even reminded me like, hey, like it's actually important for you to dig to dig deep in your own story of like, not, not necessarily like to compare, but you know, when are times when you might have felt like you were excluded or didn't belong or people didn't have your back, you know, or where you felt shame or or something that you can identify with those, those feelings, at least, even if the the experience isn't the exact same or comparable. Um, I think that's actually important too. Brene Brown also talks about that, you know, to not do the the whole like comparative suffering. Um, yeah, I don't want to be a one-trick pony about Brene Brown. There, there's also many... I don't uh, blame you. Yeah. I don't blame you. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, also just want to give a shout-out to to Lisa Sharon Harper, whose book, The Very Good Gospel, also just gave me a lot of, like, expanding my, my consciousness and my sense of even 
um, encouragement and hope about what, um, yeah, for, for me as a Christian of what it looks like to, to, to embrace a holistic sense of what is, what is the good news of God and what is, what does justice look like? What does shalom look like, um, for the world? Yeah. Um, so just wanted to mention that at some point since she's been a big influence on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well that closes out most of what I want to talk about. Um, lastly, um, what are your, your plans moving forward in the sense of how do you plan to leave your dent in this movement and others to inspire and to help others just join this movement for justice, really? I'm not going to limit it to to racial justice or anything yeah, else. Yeah. I'm going to say justice in general. How are you going to continue doing this for others? Uh, what are your plans moving forward? Yeah, well, I think each person that, you know, is in my life that's within my, my scope to, to serve or to be in a relationship with, like, I, I, I want to to help any anybody feel like they can just be a human and just be person, you know, with, with, with all these things, whether it's, like, in terms of, like, work or, um, or, or, or activism and advocacy and stuff like that. Um, when it comes to wanting to advocate for justice but also see others join that, too, I want people to know that like you you don't have to like it's it's not a zero sum game where there's not enough dignity, joy, power to go around, you know. Not not saying like that the fight for justice in these different areas is like easy or um to say like, oh like it's gonna be comfortable or anything like that. Like it's it's not, but but it is worthwhile and um yeah, and that I, I would hope that my life can model that you don't have to burn yourself out in order to to do the right thing or to fight for what is good and to fight for justice. Yeah. And last question, officially, just to finish this out. Yeah. At the end of all of this, whenever that end may be, what is your, your biggest goal, dream, or, or what do you want to be remembered for with your actions in this movement for justice? It's mm. a big question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably just reiterate what I, what I said already in a lot of ways that like, that I, I gave people, you know, a vision for something for, for, for humanity, yeah. you know, um, that, that is maybe bigger than what they thought before. I don't know. That, that sounds very vague, but yeah, I, I think I, I would hope that, um, that that would be my impact in the world in a lot of ways to, yeah, to, to show people dignity, honestly. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's good. And, yeah. and what I admire the most about this is that it is a huge problem in our community in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And many people, include, including myself, would think, you know what, like, one's actions aren't going to solve this problem, but you're willing to do it one person, one conversation, and one day at a time. And just by getting at it slowly, it, it becomes more of a solution every single day. And that's something I really admire. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I really like how you're willing to find the dignity, not in the whole solution, but in every single person 
you're you're helping and i think that the best part is you're helping a good cause you're doing things for justice in the name of god but most importantly you're helping others in your journey to do that so that's amazing i really do think you're you're leaving your dent in the universe um i'm glad we had this conversation thank Thanks, you so man. much for coming on yeah um it's a pleasure and an honor yeah thank you where, where can people find you on social media um or, or anything yeah uh let's see well i don't really do twitter that much but if you want to find me on twitter you you can uh j new at j new 116 and i think instagram there's just a underscore, underscore between right? j new and 116 yeah, yeah so j underscore new 116 j new underscore one one was there yeah. j new yeah. underscore 116 perfect yeah. so look for him on instagram twitter if you want as well um, and that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for, for hopping on. I'll see you guys next time and stay safe out there. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at Fer Andrais. All links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, Please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.